Gracious Heavenly Father, as we open your word together, please open our hearts, open our minds, and speak to us where we are, and may we be equipped and encouraged in all areas of life to live kingdom first every day of every week of every year of our lives through Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. This past week, I was getting the flower bed ready. We have one, one beautiful big flower bed in our backyard. And it's that season, it's that time to start planting things. Maybe it's a little bit late, but this is good for me. It's early. I usually start in summer when everything dies the moment you put it in the ground. But I was getting it ready, and this year, we decided to get some of these climbing jasmine. And so, I had to get a couple of trellises. And now I had to get other stuff, too. Um, like a bunch of topsoil and a bunch of mulch. And so I had this large thing that I'm pulling through Lowe's and it is stacked up. I've got two trellises and then I've got this tool thing under my arm and I'm walking through Lowe's like this, just trying not to hit people, working as hard as I can to get through. And I get to the cash register and I really like Lowe's but they are really, really slow outside. There could be, you're buying one thing and you're just standing there going, what in the world? It's like they're discussing life, politics, something. And so I'm just standing there holding my stuff. Now I've got two trellises. I'm standing like this, getting a little sore. I'll let go over here. need to kind of adjust my trellis a little bit. And I happen to do this and one of them slips. And the one on the front starts falling. And you know, that probably would have been okay, except there was a little girl standing there. And I hit her right in the head with my trellis. And I just, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I'm, I feel like this big and trying to figure out how do you make it better for that. She's actually doing okay. I think she was more shocked than hurt. These things aren't real heavy. Um, and it kind of just basically did that. Um, but I felt so awful. And here's the thing. I tried actually really hard. Like I'd been trying the entire time. I had to go around a few people. I'm like really trying to make sure I don't run into people. I don't hit people with my trellis or my big cart or anything else. And I still failed. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like you are doing like everything you can? Like your motivations for the most part are good. You're putting your energy into it. You're putting your effort into it. You're really trying. And yet you still drop the stinking trellis on the little girl and it bonks her in the head. Like how, gosh. I want to talk about failure today. How's that for a nice lighthearted message on a Sunday morning? Happy Easter. But who of us can't relate to failure? And especially at times, that failure that you really did try. 
I mean, we've got failures where it's just, we didn't try that hard. Um, But we've got those failures where we did the best we could. And that was our readings today. So, two readings that have this same theme in them today. The first was out of Acts, and I'm going to turn to Acts 9 and read you just a little bit of this. This is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, but Saul, his name before his conversion, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he does not discriminate, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, in Acts, this account is given three different times. In different contexts, Paul is describing what happens. And the accounts at times have a little bit of different information here or there because he provides something to these folks he didn't to these folks. But here's what you know, and Paul actually says this in Acts 26. I was convinced. Paul believed wholeheartedly he was following the Lord. That everything he was doing was for God. And the reason he was so zealous, the reason he's going, like I'm getting letters to follow people to other towns so that I can bring them back. That zealousness, that wasn't personal. That wasn't selfish. That was him actually believing these guys were absolute blasphemers against Yahweh. His motivation, his focus, his zealous, all of it seemed to be right. And yet, his story goes like this. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, and I would imagine, based on everything Paul was doing, that he might have expected that voice to say something like, I am with you. I'm behind you. I'm going to strengthen you. You keep going. And so when he hears, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said to him, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Boy, talk about a blow. And this is why in Corinthians, he writes to them and he says, I am the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church of God. I mean, he really thought he was doing right, and yet this is a complete failure. Now the other one, John. Turn back to John 21, uh, Peter, but in the book of John. Um, This was read as our gospel reading. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast... That has got to be the weirdest, most uncomfortable breakfast in the history of the world. Because you know what led up to that breakfast, right? Peter, the rock. Peter, the first one to say, you are the Christ. Peter, at the transfiguration, 
I mean, this is the guy. This is the leader. And this is the one who stood up and he said, I will not deny you. Even if everybody else does, and actually it wasn't that generic, even if they all do, I will not deny you. And then later on, he will pull out a sword to take on this legion of Roman soldiers. I mean, all in, very zealous, very much wanting to give everything to Christ. All the motivation is there. And when he says, I will not deny you, he means it and believes it. And yet, why are we at this breakfast right now? Because when the moment came, Jesus was on trial, so was Peter. And Peter failed. In that moment in the courtyard, when Peter is faced with this challenge to to be who he thinks he is, to be that person that he confessed with all his heart, no matter what, I will not deny you. In that moment, he denies him. In that moment, I do not know this man. Total failure. So you've got two people, two spiritual giants, who both, through the best of intentions, zealous for God, passionate, really believing they're doing the right thing, both of them fail. One, he's doing something that's absolutely against God and doesn't even know it. The other, he thinks he has more strength than he actually has. And when it comes right down to it, he's crushed. Failure. How do we deal with our failures? Now, I do want to bring up one other major reason I think that we fail at times. It doesn't quite fit them, but I just want to make sure we cover our bases before we talk about how we deal with failure. I think a lot of our failure comes through pride. I think a lot of times we believe we're a little better than we actually are. I think a lot of times we think our, our, our skill set, our talent, our experience is a little more than it actually is. And we overextend ourselves and we fail. I read this story this week about in 1628, the Swedish king launched a ship called the Vasa. And this ship was the technological marvel, the most beautiful, wonderful ship they had made up to that point. This thing had carvings and statues, 64 bronze cannons. It was a gorgeous thing. And they sent it out from Stockholm into the bay, and it made it 20 minutes. The wind picked up, and I mean, not even like a lot of wind, and it capsized and sunk. Why? Pride. It was supposed to hold 32 guns. Originally, it was supposed to be a single-deck gunship, but the Polish developed a double-deck, so they wanted a double-deck, too. And they had to have all the carvings to make it the most beautiful one, which just added all this weight on the top of it. And it was unstable 
In fact, before it was launched, the captain was trying to convince them it was unstable. 30 men ran back and forth on the deck. And the ship was moving so much, rolling so much, they told him to stop because they still wanted to launch the ship. Pride. So, what caused your failure? Or failures? Failure in that relationship? Failure in that job? Failure in that plan that you had, that you thought was foolproof, and it failed? Or failure to carry your trestle? Oh man, I totally blanked out. My wife's over there laughing at me. So here's why. For some reason, I got in my head that a trellis was called a trestle. And all day yesterday, I was going, trestle, trellis, oh no, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to screw this up and I'm not going to know which word it is. And so then I came up with this idea that trellis rhymes with jealous. So if I in my head go, jealous, trellis, okay, got it. So I told Aaron, if I ever stop for a moment before I say the word, I'm going in my head, even if it is simple as trying to get your trellis through Lowe's. How do you respond to your failures? What do you do with them? And I think if I can narrow this down to three big ways, right? There's plenty more nuances, but I'm going to get three big ways that we deal with our failures. Right? Number one, we justify them. Ever done that? You figure out all the reasons why you're not really to blame. Maybe a little bit, but somebody else is more. Somehow you, you were doing your best, but that got in the way. And it just, you find ways to move it. This was the garden, right? This is exactly what happens in the garden. And Adam, though I believe he was scared for his life because God said he would die if he ate of the tree, still his response is this. The woman that you gave me, she gave me some to eat. I mean, do you hear who he's blaming first? God, the woman you gave me, and then the woman. But I mean, it's completely, it's, it's that. Now, you go back and you read the account and... For all intents and purposes, it looks kind of like he's just standing there next to her and she hands him fruit and he eats it. I mean, there's no like, maybe I shouldn't do this or anything. It's like, okay, here, thanks, babe, take a bite. That's what it looks like. But when he gets caught, it's justifying. The woman that you gave me, she gave me some and I ate. Do you justify your failures? Number two, and this is actually about the opposite, although... To be honest, it's still kind of selfish. We magnify our failures. They become so big that they're the only thing we see. And we start beating ourselves up over our failures. It's a little bit like when you are, so I, my kids like to use um, the, the inside part of like the, the roll of toilet paper or the, the um, I can't, I'm so blanking on words. Paper towels, yeah, those are the things. Um, and use them as you know, a little telescope. What happens when you use a telescope and you close this eye and you've only got the eye open that's looking through the little tube? What do you see? 
only what's in that little tube, right? Now, when you're using an actual telescope, it's really kind of cool because you can look at something that's way far away and, like, see all these details of it. What are you not seeing, though? Like, everything around you, right? I still remember taking one of those little things when I was younger and running through my house with it and going, boom, right into a wall <laughs> because I just didn't see the wall. I mean, I'm, I'm doing this. You know, I missed the wall. That's what happens sometimes with our failures. We magnify them so much. Yeah, we can see all the details of our failures, but we can't see anything around it. We can't see the successes we've had, and it just crushes us. Here's what is happening, I believe, in both cases. We are trying, and excuse me for a moment, I got to grab my thing. Because <laughs> I still can't, still can't seem to get it right. Um, my trellis. Um, okay, so the point of a trellis is to take vines that would just grow along the ground and raise them up, right? Give them shape, give them form. That is what I believe we're trying to do. Either through justifying, I'm trying to raise myself back up, or even that whole magnifying my failures, where I'm feeling sorry for myself, I'm getting lost in my self-pity. That is a form of trying to make me feel better ultimately. I'm still trying to raise myself up. Do either of them work? No. Because in essence, what you were doing, see, I had to bury this thing, which is why there's dirt on the bottom of it because I pulled it up. I had to bury it to make it stay there. It has to have substance. It has to have something that's holding it there. When we deal with our failures by justifying them or by magnifying them, there's nothing to hold that up. We don't get anywhere. Sure, we feel a little better, but we don't get anywhere. So what's left? I would argue we need to do the same thing that Paul did, same thing that John did. Instead of trying to justify ourselves or magnify our failures, we need to be sanctified by our failures. God uses our failures far more than anything else in our lives to build us up. And you know what they did? You can go read the text. What Paul did not do is get up and go, yeah, I don't know who you are. I was doing the best that I could. Um, I, I, I didn't know. I was unaware um, I mean, now, is that actually true? Paul was unaware. Paul actually believed he was doing the right thing. He still didn't justify himself. He had no excuses for what he did. Instead, he said to the Corinthians, I am the least of the apostles. Now, he doesn't say it in a magnifying way. Notice it doesn't hold him back. He doesn't get, I mean, oh my goodness, just for a moment. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. I'm not sure I could recover from that. He has been behind the death of Christians following Jesus. I'm not sure I could even stand up from that. And yet, Paul falls on the mercy of Jesus and says, I'm not going to justify myself. I'm not going to magnify the failures. I'm going to treat them for what they are. And I'm going to lean into Jesus. 
Because when we lean into him, he becomes this trellis. This is how our life is built up. Not based on how I try to make myself look better and not based on trying to make myself feel awful, but by acknowledging the truth of my failure and then leaning into Jesus. So, turn to Revelation 5 for a minute. That was our other reading. Revelation 5. I loved how Bart read this. I kind of, I would almost have him reread it just to make my point here. Revelation 5, verse 11. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, just hear this, worthy is the lamb who was slain, that we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ during the Easter season in particular because all of our failures he died for. All of our failures he took on himself. All of our sin, all of our rebellion, he took on himself. And then he rose so that now we can say this, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It's like he couldn't pile up enough words because he is so awesome. He is so amazing and so glorious and so perfect. Why would we not want to let him raise our life up? You see, you make the choice between you doing it or him doing it between me trying to figure out why I'm good enough in my own strength or trying to make myself feel bad enough that I actually feel bad enough to walk to then stand to my feet again. I mean, ultimately, that's what our magnification is, right? I'm terrible, I'm awful, I'm horrible, I'm horrible, and eventually I get to a point where I feel good enough about calling myself horrible that I'll be able to move on. Jesus took it all and rose from the dead. Why would we not want to put everything on him. Lean on him. Let him raise us up. Let him be that thing that lets our life rise, expand, spread, be everything that he wants it to be. Because he's the risen Lord. And that is exactly what Paul does. That's exactly what Peter does. Do you imagine being on that beach? Do you love me? I do. Feed my sheep. Peter's like, okay. And he says it again. Do you love me? Boy, it's getting a little bit uncomfortable now. Like I have really royally messed up and I thought I was pretty good after telling you that. Yes, I love you. I do. Feed my lambs. Third time. Do you love me? I mean, just picture that conversation with your spouse. Imagine you have royally screwed up. 
and they say to you, do you love me still? I do, I do love you, really. Do you love me? I, I do, I really love you. Do you love me? Oh! And that's why Peter even has the reaction. He's like, he's hurt by this. It's like, I'm trying to tell you, I already feel horrible. I mean, I know I totally screwed up. I, I do love you, Lord. What are you doing? And yet, from that moment, Peter moves forward, a new man at Pentecost, as the Spirit comes on him. Peter will become the rock of the early church because he leaned in to Jesus. What are you leaning into in your failures? Where are you turning in your failures? If it is not Christ, it will not last. You will not grow. You will not become what Jesus wants you to become. Interesting thing about the garden. When he kicked them out, two things were true. Number one, he stuck a guardian in front of the tree of life. Why? Because they were now in a fallen state, and he did not want them to live forever in that state. It was an act of love. Because all the way through, God is doing acts of love for the people that he loves, his creation. However, there's a second thing that is true. God does not change his plan. Do you know that God wants you to grow? He wants you to grow in wisdom. He wants you to grow in faith. He wants you to grow in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The original plan was this. He puts this tree in the garden. And then he puts this other tree in the garden. And he says to them, everything is yours except for this one tree. The other night, I walk into my son's room, and he is building Legos. There's this small group of Legos. There's probably 20 blocks. And my other son is fighting him over these 20 blocks. And here's the part that gets me. They are literally sitting in the middle of a thousand Legos. They are all over the floor. There are boxes of them, drawers of them. There's a Lego table that one of them is leaning against that is covered in Legos. But those 20 right there were really important Legos. And they're going to blows over those 20 Legos. God puts this one tree in the garden, and he says, just not that one. Why? Because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Because he gave them everything they needed for life, for salvation, well, for eternity. They didn't really need salvation at that point. Everything they needed, they had. But he needed them to grow. And so he wanted them to trust him not themselves. And that's exactly how the tempter gets them. The tempter gets them to begin to doubt the goodness of God. I mean, will you really die if you eat of this? Really, 
you're going to become like God. That's why he doesn't want you to do this. And all of a sudden, that first human couple are put in a predicament where they need to decide, do we trust God or do we trust us? Imagine if they had chosen to trust God. It begins to grow them in wisdom and in faith and in discipleship. Well, when they decide to trust themselves, God doesn't give up on them. It's just now, think about the curse. Everything becomes more difficult. Everything. Our lives are so much more difficult. And yet the plan is still the same. He wants us to become more like him, more like Christ. But now it happens predominantly through our struggles. And we're all aware of this, right? I mean, think about the moments when you've grown the most. There was probably something going on in your life that was really hard. Something was challenging you. You were being forced to lean into Jesus. And then Jesus showed you something about himself through that. And you grew. It hasn't changed, church. We are going to fail. If you're sitting here today, you're going to fail. You may fail today. You may walk out of here and go fail at something. I know I'm going to. We're going to fail. What do we do with our failures? Do we justify them? Do we magnify them to the point that we just kind of get crippled for a while? Or do we acknowledge the truth that we screwed up? Maybe big time. We repent, we confess that sin, and then we lean into Jesus. And we say, Lord, what do I learn from this? Lord, how do I move better forward living the king's will in my life? Because I went through this. What can you teach me? I finished paying at Lowe's, and I got all my stuff, and uh, they had called somebody to help me over the intercom. And she shows up, and she says, can I help you take some of that stuff out? I got some pride. <laughs> I, no. I said, no, I'm good. I got it grab my big thing, grab my stuff here. All she had to do was give one look at the little girl who was still standing there. And I went, here you go. <laughs> Carry it out for me, please. <laughs> Ultimately, the greatest things that happen in your life, they're not going to be defined by your successes. They're going to be defined by how you deal with your failures. Because those happen so much more often. And God has the potential in our weakness to be strong. To move us in new ways. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing mercy 
your amazing grace. That in all of our failures, your love is stronger. Your power is stronger. Your patience with us is stronger. Lord, many times our failures, we were trying our best, but we still fail. Sometimes we fail because we deserved it. No matter the cause, Lord, please help all of us to stop justifying ourselves and to stop getting lost in feeling like failures, but instead to look to Jesus, to let him raise us up that we can move forward in his strength and be what he wants us to be. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.